started to realize that you know high net worth investors don't own rentals directly you don't want the liability you don't want the debt burden in your own personal name you want it in your commercial business and you also want like scalability around this time i started to join different masterminds to get around other higher net worth doctors lawyers engineers other working professionals and they invested in as a passive lp investor into dozens of these little deals where it's a hundred or 300 unit apartment complex where a general partnership manages the asset, manages the manager, and investors don't get any loans in their name and they don't do anything. They just cash your checks, that's all they do. Heroes are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them from the larger than life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell. From the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, to the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risked their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur, the creator, the producer, the ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what? I can fix that. I can help people. I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews, and I have the pleasure of bringing back one of our more popular guests from the past. This is Lane Kawanda. Lane, are you there? Hey, thanks for having me, Richard. Awesome. And Lane, you are uh, you have a podcast called Simple Passive Cashflow. Is that right? That's correct. I've been doing it since 2016, and uh, hopefully it helps out a lot of people get started in real estate, buying rentals, um, syndications, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, you guys... You guys talk a lot about uh, about real estate investing and other things, and I know um, whenever we bring our returning guests back on, we've already heard your uh, your heroic stories, so we get in and talk a little about some of the fun topics that you guys actually teach. Um, so I was looking through all of your stuff here today, and I thought it would be fun to talk about some of the counterintuitive wealth rules that the rich follow. Um, and I know you got a few of them here, so I want to dive in dive into this first one that you have. It says, "Don't buy a home to live in." instead by rentals. So why don't you tell me a little bit about that and why that's a why that's an important rule and why it's you know counterintuitive. Yeah, so, so before we get going, you know, just preface it, a lot of this stuff is, uh, you know, more, more of my clients are more higher end, uh, higher net worth, doctors, lawyers, engineers, working professionals, guys pretty good with their money already. So I mean, a lot of this stuff kind of flies in the face of your traditional Susie Orman, Dave Ramsey type of traditional dog, financial dogma. Um, but yeah, I mean, so like not, not investing in retirement accounts seems super, uh, irresponsible. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah. none of us do it for a variety of reasons. Um, we'll kind of walk down the list here. So first of all, you know, you're going to be paying taxes on your money regardless, either now in a 401k or later or you know, now in a Roth or later in a 401k. So pre-tax, post-tax, it's all the same. But we get to pretty much choose when we pay taxes on it. So most of us are, you know, in kind of my world, we, our tax bracket is likely lower today than it is tomorrow. Uh, most financial advice is predicated on the fact that, you know, they think that you're going to quit your job, yeah. live in your home and kind of shrivel up and die off a meager um, social security or, or lower tax bracket, right? 
I don't yeah. think that that's gonna happen. I plan. I'm pretty optimistic guy, but I'm pretty sure I'm gonna be a lot more richer in the future and be in a higher tax bracket in the future. Therefore, I want to pay ta my taxes on it today. Get it out. Second reason. I mean, how else are we gonna pay for all this government stimulus, right? These trillions of dollars to prop up a pandemic. Um, but tax brackets will likely be going up in the future, and inflation will likely happen. Um, not not in the next few years, but definitely in the next decade or two. So therefore, we yeah. tax brackets are likely to be going up. Third reason, um, I've already retired. I'm 35 years old. Obviously, I want my money. I want to get at my money before I'm 70 or whatever age you need to get at that retirement yeah. money. Yeah. Fourthly, uh, and this is the big one, and this kind of transitions probably to our next topic is, you know, we, we try to use these deductions, these paper losses from real estate investments today so we don't pay taxes. I don't pay taxes. Um, yeah. Trump paid $750 to me. I so, think he messed up. <laughs> so you don't get the so one of the these things that's losses from the investments unless you invest in a non-retirement account or non-self-directed IRA account or non-checkbook yeah. IRA account. I remember the the first time I um I was I was in a corporate meeting when I was running um running the uh, marketing department for a big uh, a big regional company. Um, and they had the retirement person come in and they were like, hey, we're going to talk about how we can set up your 401ks. And I remember him getting up there. And the first thing he said to everyone is like, for, you know, for all of you people who want to, you know, get to their retirement age and retire, you're all going to have a lower income bracket and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I raised my hand and I was like, I don't plan on retiring less wealthy than I am now. I plan on retiring more wealthy. Um, and I was like, wouldn't it make more sense to pay taxes on the seed money than rather than paying taxes on your harvest later, um, which is what most people do, right? They put in money tax free out of their paycheck into their retirement accounts, and then it grows, hopefully. Um, and then at the end, when they go to pull it out, then they get taxed on the harvest instead. Um, and I, you know, from the people I know that I, that are a lot wealthier than myself, you know, um, it's, it's things, things like learning how to pay taxes on the seed and then let it grow tax-free and have the harvest, you know, the stuff that, that grows over the time is where you want, you want to, you want to get taxed at the beginning, not at the end. Right. Right. I mean, the whole point is that let's think for ourselves, like just think logically through this, right. And think for yourselves and don't just go after the book dogma, right. The guy who came in, give you their presentation, his company and your company were in cahoots to get you into their program, right. He is not a financial expert to me. You never take financial advice from somebody who's not financially free themselves or gets paid off commissions. Absolutely. So why why do you say that you should um, not buy a home, right? To instead buy rentals. Yeah. So most of um, you know when you're investing in real estate, something as simple as like a turnkey rental property, buy a home rental. You know, you're making like over 30, 35 percent on your money when you factor in, you know, maybe you're only making five to 10% in cash flow, the monthly revenues, um, income and expenses, but you're making money with mortgage pay down, the tenants paying down your mortgage for you. So your equity is building up that way and your leverage and you're still getting the appreciation there and you're also getting the tax benefits. So you pay less taxes. Yeah. When you add up all those for you're making well over 30, 35%. Um, people want to see a video breakdown of this. They can go to my website, simplepassivecashflow.com slash returns. And if you don't, if you don't trust me, go look it up for yourself and do the math for yourself. But 
you know, why would you want to put your money in a house where it, all it does is keeps up with the pace of inflation when you could be making 30% on your money plus in similar avenue? Um, and this is kind of where ultimately where I discovered maybe over a decade ago where I was like, well, how am I making 30% here? I want to make it like 8 to 10% in my 401k stocks. Um, I think this is one of the biggest mistakes that young couples make. They buy a big house. You know, they buy a starter home that's 600 grand. And that's like $100,000, $200,000 down payment where they could have bought maybe four or six houses out in the Midwest that are all cash flowing, growing the money at 20 30%. Um, it's just, and, and now that, that young couple has that big mortgage and they've lost all their cash flow and they've lost their options and other stuff. Uh, I will caveat saying, because people, this is a very emotional topic for a lot of people. They want that home to live in. This is one of the most financially debilitating decision I think people make. Um, but I, I still think it is for most people because it's kind of like a forced savings account. Um, a home yeah. is like a mortgage you put your money to. But if you're financially responsible, fiscally responsible with your money, like maybe the minority of people out there, then there's a different way. There's a better way. So the obvious question then is if you're not going to buy a house and you're going to buy rentals and do other things and start creating the cash flow, are you recommending then that you rent a house to, to live in? Yeah, that's what I do. Interesting. So when it comes to renting a house, do you rent a house from your own company or do you rent a house from someone else? Yeah, just from somebody else. I mean, no, no games. Different? Yeah, no games here. And, you know, in terms of, you know, renting from my escort, renting the kind of LLC or anything like that. No, just renting from some private person out there. I mean, Put it this way, there's a lot of, most investors are unsophisticated. Most of them are mom and pa investors that only own one or two rental properties. And they are just so lucky when somebody buys their, or rents their house. There are a lot of really unsophisticated investors that buy higher end properties that the rent to value ratios don't work. Um, I know we talked about last time, you're looking for a property that is 1% rent to value ratio or higher so that yeah. you can cash flow. So a house that's, you know, likely over $300,000, $400,000, a potential property that you may want to live in as a rental, um, probably doesn't make financial sense to me, right? You want to be rent, yeah. I mean, these, these properties don't work as a rental. Therefore, the, for you as a person living in there, it makes so much sense, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So you're, you, there's, there's a lot of uh, unsophisticated investors allow you to get a good deal as a renter. Right. I mean, we don't advocate for buying rentals in any primary markets like California, Washington, Seattle, Hawaii, New York, uh, Miami, like those types of markets. And that's a lot where a lot of us choose to live, right? Because they're great places to live. Therefore, it's a great place to yeah. live in a rental property because the numbers don't make sense for the buying. It does. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so then if you're, if you're, investing in the rental properties and you're going through and you're doing you know you're buying three or four of those renter homes instead of buying a home um when, when do you get to a point where you're looking at maybe expanding and moving into you know i know like reading through your stuff you've started started um, investing in multifamily and other things and growing your portfolio that way yeah so probably around when your net worth gets to be about half a million dollars give or take a quarter million is when you start to get to a level where I was in 2015, when I had 11 rentals, um, I started to realize that 
you know, high net worth investors don't own rentals directly. You don't want the liability. You don't want the debt burden in your own personal name. You want it in your commercial business. And you also want like scalability um, for each rental property, you know, great returns. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it's only a few hundred bucks of cash flow every month. You know, not going to mm-hmm. say I'm not appreciative of that, but you know, with 11 rentals, I had an eviction or two every year, some kind of big catastrophe that happened every quarter. And yeah, I'm having my property manager do all my, my uh, dirty work for me. But with 11 rentals, it adds up, right? With 30 rentals, yeah. it starts to become sort of a full-time job to manage the manager. And that's the, the level that you kind of need to scale to. To I mean, 10 rentals is just $3,000 passive a month. I don't know what American family yeah. can survive on that. So you're going to need 30 properties. So now you're talking about an eviction every other month, some kind of big catastrophe every other week. It's just not scalable. And this is where I started to, around this time, I started to join different masterminds to get around other higher net worth, doctors, lawyers, engineers, other working professionals. And they invested in as a passive LP investor into dozens of these little deals where it's a 100 or 300 unit apartment complex where a general partnership manages the asset, manages the manager, and investors don't get any loans in their name and they don't do anything. They just cash your checks. That's all they do. That's interesting. So you're actually, uh, you're investing just the cash into the deal and getting a, a, some sort of an equity return. Yeah, and the, the deal gets a lo- loan, not in your name, but in the general partner's name. So you're being leveraged too, and you're also getting the tax benefits also. But also, you're also there in these larger deals, you can do what's called a cost segregation, where it basically extracts way, way, way more, like four to 10 times as much losses in the first year as you would if you just would have bought a little single family home with the same amount of money. And that's where we're playing this game, right, with taxes, getting these passive losses. Yeah. So, so can you explain a little bit what a passive loss is um, and how that lowers your um, your AGI, your adjusted gross income, and how, how that impacts taxes. Yeah, so not not a CPA, not a lawyer here, but I do know a thing or two, and um, I probably do know a lot more than a lot of CPAs who have a day job, and that's why they're stuck there. So the way I explain this is like there's ordinary income, and there's passive income and passive losses. So there's a barrier between those. So when you make a passive income, like to your rentals, right? You you have revenue, you pay your expenses and you have cash flow, that's passive income. And you can use passive losses to offset that. How do you get passive losses? Well, you go buy equipment or you you can take a paper loss on the property. So with rental property, you can take 127th of the value of the, the improvement, the building value every year. So on a $350,000 house, you can take about maybe $6,000 every year. So that's your phantom, that's your paper loss, that's your passive loss that you can use to offset the income. And likely that usually exceeds what you made as a passive income that year. Again, as good business operators know, you're always so trying if to- it, if, if it offsets, right, that brings your income to zero. If your income is zero or less than zero, you don't pay taxes on that income. Exactly, exactly. And good business owners know that you're always trying to drive your income down to zero right? So you don't pay any taxes. Mm -hmm. But things get really cool when, when you do a cost segregation, I mean, you can get way, way more passive losses. 
I mean, sometimes I'll see like $60,000, $80,000 comebacks on a on $100,000 investment. And you only made maybe $5,000 that year in income, but you have like an $80,000 loss. So a net of a $75,000 loss, which you can use the passive losses. Can you, can you apply those to other, other income areas? Yes. So it, you cannot use passive losses to offset ordinary income unless you are a real estate professional on designation on taxes and you meet a few more criteria. But this is the magic here, right? So like a very common scenario is I have a, a doctor or a lawyer, high paid salary where they make maybe 600,000 yeah. a year. Their spouse does some real estate stuff. They play the real estate professional status on taxes. Now they can use whatever passive losses they, they have to offset and lower their AGI down to whatever they want. That's really fascinating. Um, and so, so that's how, how the rich play the tax game, right? Is they're, they're, they're not actually just going with, hey, here's what your income is and here's how much you owe on it. They're lo looking at how they use their real estate um, paper losses to reduce that AGI to the level that is acceptable to them. Right. At least like the big strategy is get it out of the red zone, right? Get it under $330,000 or so at AGI, because when you're above that, that's where you're getting killed or in the Biden plan, you know, like he's going to kill $400,000 income earners and higher. So you go right up to 399, right? You know, I don't know what the strategy is going to be this time, two years from now, when all the ch changes happen, but that's, that's generally the strategy. Um, and I know people think, you know, these guys are jerks, right? They don't pay any taxes, but this is what the tax code is it's incentivizing. They, they want people like us to be in using our capital into the economy, right? We're the ones that deserve the tax breaks. Mm -hmm. It's the people who sit on their money under their mattress, not doing anything. You have to pay taxes. That's the deal. Yeah. So, cause you're actually taking the capital that you have and investing it back into the economy, whether you're buying property or upgrading property or you're, you know, whatever it is you're doing with it, you're, you're creating more, um, you're creating more value in the economy that wasn't there before. Right. In so a midst of pandemic, right. In the midst of a pandemic, we were the ones putting in money into the economy where people are kind of frozen. Absolutely. So how does, um, I know since we're talking about taxes, I know one of the things really interesting with property um, is you can do cash out refinances on equity. And when you pull out those, pull out the loans, the, those, lo those loan dollars are tax-free as well. Is that right? That is correct. That is correct. So when you pull out the money, it is not a taxable event. But you know, when we sell assets that you have to recapture all the depreciation that you took, and you have to pay your capital gains. But we play this game where we're on this, I call it the, the simple passive cash flow gravy train, or God mode, I don't know what I call it yet. But you know, <laughs> like most of investors that do this stuff, we have several hundred thousand dollars of passive losses, a big pillow to cushion any type of capital gain or depreciation recapture. And then what do we do with that money? Well, you know, we're investors. So we go redeploy that into several deals and grab even more passive losses. It's just this kind of good vicious cycle we live on. So yeah, yeah. we don't so that's, do- That's the, uh, the 1031 exchange? No, we don't do 1031s. I don't, I don't like 1031 okay. exchanges at all. I don't, I don't know why anybody does them. If you have several hundred thousand dollars of passive losses, you should just be simply taking your passive losses offsetting your, your income that year. 
your capital gain and your depreciation recapture. And then right? you don't and have then, the requirement of, of reinvesting that the 1031 requires. That's correct. That's correct. So to me, it's all a moot point. They say they're going to get rid of that 1031 exchange. I don't think they are, but if they do, we don't care. Right. And this is the example of like the, the wealthy always find a way to kind of do things where it kind of flies underneath the radar. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really, really interesting sort of way to look at how you manage your money. The Hero Show will be right back. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame, and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro-celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. You're listening to The Hero Show, unlocking the power of influence and success. So um, one, of the, one of the things you have listed on here is, is not using your retirement account as an investment vehicle. And I know a lot of people, if they're looking at maybe buying a rental property, they're looking at getting the down payment from, say, their 401k or something. Why, why do you not recommend doing that? Well, I mean, the retirement funds, like, as I mentioned, right, like you want to invest outside your retirement funds to play this game, right? Get the passive losses. When you invest through a retirement account, you you can self-direct your IRA, your Roth, or self take your 401k out in an in-service transaction and invest it. But when you're doing it in that QRP, the qualified retirement plan money, you don't get the losses, the paper losses from it. And that's one of the big reasons why we do this whole shenanigan, right? So that's why I would rather have my money out to play with and invest via cash. Include that with all the other, you know, all the things we've kind of mentioned at the start of the show with, you know, paying taxes today and that, that type of stuff. And, and to kind of close the loop on that, right? Like that's, that's one of the biggest, that's the government's biggest potential revenue stream right there is all these untaxed retirement funds that are going to get taxed at some point, right? They just yeah. kind of, it's like a blank check for them. It's like they have a, a lien on your retirement funds. I want my money out of that stuff. <laughs> so for those of us who may be at the beginning of a wanting to take either the extra money that our business is throwing off or the extra income from our, our jobs, if that's where we're at, wants to get started playing in this game and creating passive income and then using the paper losses to offset the, uh, the stuff. Because I know one of the things that like, I'm running into right now in my business. I've just hit the point where like I need to do something from an investment standpoint that we're, you know, otherwise I'm starting to owe a lot of money in taxes. 
Um, and I don't have any way to, you know, the business costs what it costs. So I can't like adjust my, uh, <laughs> my, what do you call it? The depreciation, whatnot on the, on the business. Um, so how, how do you recommend sort of getting started in the real estate space? Um, and can that help with the income that you're generating either from your business or from your, your job? Yeah. So, I mean, it's not gonna be overnight. I mean, I would say, you know, get used to owning rental properties, understand the game. It's not that complicated. You know, once you do it for six months, you're kind of an expert at that point. Um, but, you know, depending where your net worth is, and there's, I, I call this the journey to simple passive cash flow. There's a progression, right? If your net worth is under half a million dollars, you know, it's go and buy a turnkey rental, right? Your highest and best use is going and buying a, just a turnkey rental, right? Spend your time on your business, right? So a lot of my clients are high paid doctors, lawyers, engineers, that's what they should do, right? Not screw around with all these like flipping houses, wholesaling, these really active real estate activities. We do more passive stuff. So buy a turnkey rental. So a what a turnkey rental is, is like a rehabber will buy a house, like a cheap house. They'll fix it up, put in new carpet or new flooring, new appliances. They'll fix the plumbing, they'll fix the roof, all the big major components, they'll revamp. Sometimes they'll even put a, a tenant in there for you. So it's kind of like a rental property with training wheels, right? You can just step into. Yeah. If your net worth is higher than that and you're making a lot of money, you definitely if you're a accredited investor, syndications, private placements is probably the way to go. But the problem there is, you know, you don't have that network around, you don't have that peer group to be able to vet operators or deals. So that's I would just say, hey, just educate yourself in this space. You know, like listen to my podcast. It's more geared towards high paid professionals, more affluent investors um, who are geared up to be more passive. It's just get about educating yourself. Interesting. So, so you start off with turnkey rental um, and you just, I guess, reinvest that back into getting a few more turnkey rentals until you sort of hit that, that uh, net worth, uh, would you call it like bar that you were, you were mentioning that half million dollar net worth? Yeah, I would say, I would say so. I mean, roughly, right. I mean, they can check out my article, simplepassivecashflow.com slash syndication. I have a little chart based on how much money you're making and how much, what your net worth is to kind of dictate where do you go? You know, I'm the engineer, so I got like all charts and graphs kind of telling you which way to kind yeah. of go on this decision matrix. But I've had guys like, you know, like doctors before that are super busy and they just want to learn. So they go buy a rental property, even though I say, yeah, man, that's a waste of time, right? For you to spend all this money to deploy, you know, $50,000, $100,000 of capital is a waste of your time. But hey, more power to them. That's how you learn the best, right? By starting with the small stuff. Because once you go to the big stuff, it's easier. You, you become a dummy real fast. You don't learn too much, right? And that's- Yeah, yeah. That's so, so one of the things that I'm struggling with in my head is you're saying like half million dollar net worth. And I'm like, because I'm, I'm a Southern California boy. So like- that's not even a whole house. <laughs> that's like half a house in the Southern California market. So I, I imagine you're talking about turnkey rentals in other parts of the country where where it's going to take a few properties to actually hit that kind of a, a passive in, or sorry a, a net worth. Yeah, exactly. So we don't again we don't buy properties in primary markets like California. We stick to secondary and tertiary markets. So places like Birmingham, Atlanta, Indianapolis, Kansas City, Little Rock, uh, Cincinnati, Cleveland, like places like that, where the big criteria is 1% rent to value ratio or higher, nothing less. So you take the monthly rent divided by the purchase price, and that needs to be 1% or higher. So a lot of the, the atypical turnkey rentals are, 
$1,000 a month rent and $100,000 purchase price, 1%. So like, you know, like you buy a house in Southern California for 400 grand in the ghetto, probably, you know, we don't buy properties in the ghetto yeah. that rents for two grand, 2000 divided by 400,000 is half a percent. That's as you say in Southern California, no bueno, that ain't going to work. Look elsewhere. Right. But most investors, <laughs> so, as I said, it buy that stuff because they're unsophisticated. They don't think about cash flow. So when it comes to buying properties like that, like the ones in Kansas city and other places where they have that 1%, um, you know, rent to value ratio, um, you said uh, like you're you're in Hawaii. So how are you doing? Like I know because a lot of investors are thinking I have to buy in my backyard, right? I have to I have to be able to go put boots on the ground and see the property or meet the uh, people who are going to be renting from me. How do you manage that? You know, in your case, I think you said you're in Hawaii, right? Yeah, I I live out here where I want, but invest where the numbers make sense. And yeah, it is daunting. I'm not gonna lie, right? Like you're going to a place that maybe you've never visited. And you're going to buy properties that you may never ever visit either. So it's all about building a team of professional property managers, brokers, and getting a third-party property inspector. The lender is going to be doing the due diligence on the appraisal and the title. So you're covered there. <laughs> but you know, this is where you have to build your, your network of other peer accredited and other passive investors to get referrals from them, build organic relationships with people. And get referrals from them. And this is where I kind of created my network to kind of help people out doing that. But this is like, it's it's not that hard, right? But it's a different way of thinking for sure. Um, yeah. People want to help you because you're gonna buy more properties. You're gonna do business with them again. I mean. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So my next question for you then is, I guess it's it's just something in my head that I've not not figured out how you work out. Cause I know there's there's a delineation between properties where when you get the loan on it, you're personally guaranteeing the loan with your own credit score and stuff like that. I know at some point you get to the point where the loan is done on the property and the numbers of the property. Where does that sort of shift happen in the in the in the types of properties you're investing in? Yeah. So what you're talking about is when you go over five units, so like a quadplex or bigger, you're getting what's called a commercial loan and it's more asset base. But unless you go over like 50 or 60 units, those those loan, that's like no man's land in terms of lending world. So what I advocate for people is, you know, get some experience, get your net worth up to half a million dollars, but then skip completely over this mom and pa investor world where you're getting a six plex, an eight plex, a, a 12 plex, a 32 plex, and go just go into being an LP in a, in a syndicators deal, a country club deal where, I mean, this is, this is why I do what I do because we get loans where it's million dollar loan size or more. That's Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac backed. It's 10 to 15 year terms, um, super low interest rates, uh, interest only for several years. It's phenomenal. And it's, and the biggest thing is non-recourse. So we, as the sponsors put the loans in yeah, our yeah. personal names and it's not recourse. It's amazing. That's really interesting. So you're getting into, you're getting into big properties then, um, and with non-recourse terms. Right, with better economies of scale, um, and just more stable assets, more institutional assets. Um, but yeah, if you're a lot of these buy-ins so into these syndications are. Yeah, so what I was gonna, what I was going to ask about those syndications, like what what's the actual like, the work involved for you 
to get into a syndication asset like that? Because I know you mentioned like once the deal's done, you're just cash and checks, but like, what does it take for you to actually get involved in one of those? You're right. I mean, as an LP passive investor, you don't do jack. You don't do anything. It's all the general partners, the guys flying in the, the airplane in the cockpit. They do everything. They put the loans in their name. They operate the asset. They pay, send all distributions. You're just a passive investor. Um, but all the due diligence and the hard work is on the front end, building your network with other people to figure out who are the trustworthy people out there. Um, and there's a little bit of a legwork with that, right? Building relationships, getting out of your comfort zone, talking to people. It's not for everybody. Um, if you can't do that, well, that's what the crowdfunding websites are, right? That's the leftovers that people couldn't find investors for that they just threw out there on the internet and you can invest for a thousand dollars a piece, but I wouldn't necessarily say they're good deals. Yeah, interesting. So there's definitely a lot of really fascinating things to talk about when it comes to you know, investing the way the wealthy do. So what I want to do, um, since we sort of hit that that 30 minute point is where can people go if they want to learn more about how to take the money that either their business or their high paying jobs are throwing off and investing them into into real estate? Where can they go to learn more about this from you? Um, and maybe start actually taking some action on um, on on that? Yeah, so if your net worth is under half a million, I would say start off buying a single family home turnkey rental um, that will likely be remote to you. I've got um, a lot of free content on the, when I first started my podcast back in 2016, this is all I talked about. So it's a lot of tactical information on there. Um, podcast is Simple Passive Cashflow. Um, I've got an e-course, simplepassivecashflow.com if you want to check that out. But, um, you know, those last few years, I became more of an accredited investor. So I've been kind of changing my style of investing. And the, the, I've kind of been doing, it's more in the tax, right? You start off with deals, right? You grow your net worth. But then you start to discover these other wealth building activities like paying no taxes, infinite banking, passive losses. And this is kind of like the progression of an investor. So if they kind of listen to the podcast, it kind of goes through a story. Um, of kind of my my investing story, but a lot of it's free on on my website, Simple Passive Cashflow, and that was kind of a big passion of mine. I'm just I'm I'm a little upset of like how bad how there's bad financial advice out there, right? Like buy a house to live in and yeah. invest in your 401k. A lot of it's just created by Wall Street for, so that all these hardworking Americans have to slave away at a job for 30 or 40 years, right? Like imagine a world where you just bought a yeah, rental absolutely. property. And then you bought a rental property the next year. I mean, most of my guys save 30 grand every year, 50 grand every year, so they can buy one or two rental properties every year. They just did that for a few years. They'd be set, right? Society would not function, yeah. right? Like nobody would make coffee <laughs> at, at Starbucks if that was the case. And <laughs> because th everyone was uh, investing. Exactly. But there, there's a lot of hardworking, like I came from <laughs> corporate America where there's a lot of hardworking people that just slave away every day and they're so stressed out. To me, those are the people that need this the most. So as a, as a final, final question here before we hop off, how much time do you actually invest into your real estate business today? Well, I'm an operator. Like I, have on a daily 42, basis. I have 4,200 rental units and I have my education side. I mean, I work about probably 10, 12 hours a day, um, but I tell my passive investors in my mastermind, I'm like, if you guys are spending more than like a few hours a month doing this, you're doing it the wrong way, right? Passive investing should not take you that long, you know? 
I like it. That's what uh, well, that's the next step I need to take. I actually put it on my uh, my goal list for this next year is to start taking some of the profits from my business and putting into real estate because I know that's a uh, that's the next stage of growth for for us is figuring out how to uh, take what the business is creating and putting it into uh, to investments that will last the long term. Yeah, for sure, man. If you need some help, let me know. I mean, it's kind of like swimming, right? Like I'm a horrible swimmer. If you watch me, I'm just thrashing in the water. But like if you'd watch good swimmers, they're, it's like low speed, like high speed, low drag, right? Like they're just, there's no noise, right? I think that's the biggest thing with real estate. Like there's just so much noise about like, if you don't have any money, here's all these strategies, which to me are just time wasters to me, right? If you're a higher paid, yeah. higher network guy, it's super simple. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, thank you so much for coming back on today, Lane. It was uh, fascinating to talk to you. It always is to uh, to speak with people who are doing playing their game at a really high level. So if you uh, are listening to this and you've got a chance to, uh, um, and your, your business is either throwing off the cash or your high paying job is throwing off the cash, you want to get into real estate investing, definitely check out simplepassivecashflow.com. I will make sure that there's a link for it in the, uh, um, in the show notes for you. Um, and again, Lane, thank you so much for coming on and sharing, uh, sharing a little bit more about some of these tactics and strategies today. Cool. Thanks, Richard. Okay. Bye, guys.